Welcome to Healing at the Speed of Light. Every week, we discuss how laser therapy is changing healthcare and how you can benefit. Now, here is your host and founder of Laser Therapy Institute, Dr. Jason Roundtree. Thanks for joining us again today here on the podcast. We have a special edition. We're giving you access to a patient workshop that we presented at one of our LTI clinics focused on neuropathy. So today is going to be part one of three different parts for this presentation. My name is Dr. Jason Roundtree. I'm the clinic director here at Montana Laser. Um, we also have uh, Dr. Rachel Thompson and uh, Elizabeth Seymour is our uh, nurse practitioner here. So we actually work I'll tell you a little bit about us. We work together as a team on all of our patients, so our patients don't just see one practitioner or another. They actually will see uh, all of us, and we work together on folks as a team so that we have a good full-scale approach from a kind of chiropractic natural healing side as well as that more traditional medical side too. That, that combination there has proven to be very, very good for our patients, and that's our big focus here is doing whatever we can to be good for our patients. So. What we'll do today is we're going to go through, again, a little bit about us there, um, but then we're going to dive into what neuropathy is, what that word actually means, the process that is, that is happening there, uh, some of the causes behind neuropathy. Uh, we're going to talk about the current kind of traditional recommendations for treatment, what that usually involves, uh, and then also we'll go into some of the newer treatment options there. Um, most people want to know um, why we do these. Well, the reason we do these is because of our, our clinic's mission statement. And our, our mission is to improve our patient's function and decrease symptoms in order to eliminate the need for surgeries and addictive medications so that quality of life can be improved and maintained for our community. That means that uh, if we can be successful there, it's going to help decrease health costs across the board and it'll reduce that opioid crisis that has finally gotten some actual political action and attention. It's taken years and years. We've been talking about it for a long time, but it's, we're finally kind of slowly moving the right direction there. But if we're going to be able to do that, then not only do we have to provide good, effective, conservative, and regenerative therapies, but we also have to help educate people about what is going on with the kind of current state of healthcare, some of the new things that come up. Because if you don't know about it, how are you supposed to even decide if that's something that's right for you? So that's where this falls. No, nobody's selling you guys on anything today. This is absolutely an educational workshop. Of course, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what we do because I think we're pretty great. All right. But I want you to come away from this with an understanding of what neuropathy really is, different types, what's going on in the body, so you can make smart decisions about your health care. Um, there's not just a lot of education in med school, in chiropractic school, and in a lot of the, the health science out there about neuropathy because, as we'll talk about here in a little bit, the treatment options are really terrible. So once you, once you kind of understand what's going on, there, there's not much more really to do for your patients, so then neuropathy patients kind of get swept under the rug. If, if you have neuropathy or you know somebody with neuropathy and you're here today, have you been told or have you heard the doctor say, um, oh, you have neuropathy, here's some medication, see you later? Is that, okay, yeah, that's the typical. I mean, that's, that's, not, that's not to get down on your doctor. They just don't have any other tools to offer you. There's nothing else there. So we're gonna go through this from the start, from how this thing gets going, what the causes are, what the treatment approaches look like, and then some of the things that have just come on board in just the last few years. We'll go through all that. So really starting here, what is neuropathy? Neuropathy just means nerve damage. It's a pathology of the nerves, neuropathy. 
So um, it can actually refer to a few different kind of things here. You can have um, several different types, but regardless of the different types of neuropathy, the process in there is all pretty, pretty much the same. So you can have central neuropathies. Now, a central neuropathy refers back to the central nervous system. Anybody know what the central nervous system is, what the components are? Brain and spinal cord. Everything else, everything else from, from, from the spine on out, that'd be called your peripheral nervous system. You've got central and peripheral, meaning going out towards the outside. But a central neuropathy refers back to the brain and spinal cord damage that can create a, a focal, a, a really small localized spot, or even widespread pain anywhere in the body. And this can happen with stroke, with some you know, significant spinal injuries, even with degenerative diseases like multiple sclerosis. Once you have damage there in the spine or in the brain, you can end up with just a little bit of pain in one or two weird kind of spots, or it can be even the entire limb or the entire half, lower half of the body, say. It just depends on where that nerve damage is. Now, peripheral neuropathy, this is the one that most, that is more common. Most people are familiar with this one as opposed to the central neuropathy. Peripheral neuropathy refers to damage in the nerves outside of the spine and the brain. So it occurs in the extremities. So we're talking the hands, the feet, the toes, and so forth. Now, what goes on when you have nerve damage with a neuropathy, again, nerve damage, with peripheral neuropathy, and that's what we're going to spend the most time talking about today, right, is the peripheral neuropathy, because it's the most common. Um, but with peripheral neuropathy, the damage is created by altered blood flow, and that can happen due to one of many different causes. But that's going to be the kind of underlying mechanism that goes on, is you starve those nerve endings of blood flow, and so they start to go through a series of changes. You ever put your arm up on the back of a chair and had it fall asleep? you're starving the nerve of blood flow. Now that's really easy to fix, right? What do you do? Shake it out. Shake it out. Get some, get some blood flow back in there, right? And you feel it kind of prickle and tingle and it comes back to life and you're fine. So, but what if you did that to the blood supply to all those little nerve endings in the feet and the toes? And what if you can't just shake it out? That's when we get to actual damage in that nerve. Yes, sir. Anything to do with uh, Raynaud's um, symptoms? So that's similar. So Raynaud's is a, is a blood flow. It's a vascular problem. It does involve the nerves. And this is where you get into some of the little bit more advanced. Raynaud's is uh, a vascular problem more than it is a nerve problem. But what you'll find out is that the nerves and the blood flow control each other. So you have nerve-gated blood vessels, and that's the malfunction with Raynaud's. So and anybody else know what Raynaud's is? That's where you have the, the extremities, the, the fingertips, the toes, will, will turn these different colors, red, white, and blue approach, and it actually goes uh, white, blue, and red, typically, where all of a sudden those nerves that are supposed to tell the blood vessels to stay opened up, they kind of malfunction and shut down blood flow. So then you get super pale white, then it goes kind of blue, that kind of dark color, and then the it's like the nerves almost like wake up and they go, oh yeah, blood flow, and they open back up and then it just rushes down in there and you get really red. That process right there, real painful, real painful. But it's almost the reverse of what we'd call a neuropathy because in neuropathy, we're taking the blood flow away from the nerve rather than the nerve squeezing off the blood flow out to the extremities. Yes, so very similar. But yeah, that's, um, that relationship there is pretty kind of delicate sometimes. So if you starve, if you starve a, a nerve, though, of blood flow, then what happens over time 
is you start to do damage to those nerve endings. Just like, I mean, if you, if you were to grab and squeeze onto your finger for a couple minutes, I mean, it'll probably get uncomfortable after a little bit. But if you do this for about five years, you're gonna have some problems, right? You're gonna have some actual damage. You're gonna have some tissue damage in, 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 those, in that nerve or that finger, whatever you've got that pressure on. So not only does it damage those real delicate nerve endings, the part that does the feeling, but it also damages the, the, what we're gonna call the insulation around the nerve. Now, I'm not an electrician. Anybody here an electrician? No? Okay. Most of us though know that you've got a wire to most of your lights and that wire has to have insulation on it. What happens if you strip the insulation away but you leave the wire hooked up? Good things or bad things? <laughs> bad things, fires and, and shorts in the system and the whole bit, right? So that's kind of how our nerves work in the body too. Um, if you expose those fibers, then you start getting all these little, these, little, these little fires that pop up and these little shorts in the system so you get different pain levels, sharp pains, tingling, all kinds of things like that. Because not only do you have the, the, the ending, the nerve ending itself that's been damaged, but also the insulation that helps the, the nerve transmit those signals. So this is where I'm going to um, warn you right now, there is a quiz at the end, you need to know all these words. No. But just a little bit of a visual, um, when we're talking about a nerve, we're talking about a single cell. When we're talking about a nerve fiber, one single cell. So it's got its, its cell body, kind of the main part, and then it's got this really long axon here, and then it terminates here at the, at the nerve ending. And along there is where you've got the insulation, the myelin sheath, but the insulation that goes along there. Now this, this guy can be all the way up here at the spine, and this can go all the way down to the toes. So that's got a long pathway that has to stay intact for your nerves to work, right? If at any point in there that becomes damaged or injured somehow, then you can end up with problems down with the way that this guy can feel and transmit back up to the cell. So that was one single nerve cell, right? Now nerves don't just have, they're not just by themselves, they're in these big bundles. This is a very small peripheral nerve. This would be one of the ones that goes out to say the toes. Inside that nerve bundle, you've got these other smaller nerve bundles that are kind of gathered together. They're wrapped in all this insulation. There's the actual nerve itself, but they're also fed by these very, very small blood vessels. And if you end up losing that blood flow, you start to lose the integrity of this whole system here. And that can happen again at any point between where it, hap where it starts in the back all the way down the leg, or if we're talking about the arms, all the way up in the neck, all the way down to, to, the, to the fingers there. And do you think these are, these nerve bundles, do you think they're bigger up, say, in the shoulder, or are they bigger down in the fingers? They get bigger or smaller as you go down the arm? They do, they get smaller, because you've got fibers that you're feeding off to, you know, so you have feeling up here as well as down in the hands, right? So if they're getting smaller, do you think the blood supply is better or worse as you get out into, like, the hands and the fingers and the toes? Worse. So you're already, hands, fingers, toes, they're already a little more vulnerable because your blood supply just isn't as good, right? So if we start to affect blood supply, where's the first areas that are affected? Out in those fingers, out in those toes. Yep, absolutely. Not necessarily up at the knee, not necessarily in the hip. Okay, so symptoms. Now, you guys can probably tell me some of the symptoms, I would guess, if we're talking peripheral neuropathy. Um, but ultimately, when we're talking about symptoms, it depends on which nerves are affected. Now, if we're talking those peripheral nerves, yeah, we know what that is, right? Somebody shout out. What does it feel like? Tingling, burning, stinging. 
Well. Sandpaper, yeah. Cold. Yep, cold. Oh, now what, uh, how about arthritis in your hand? Different process. So, yeah, the feeling, so arthritis will typically give you off and on achy pain and sometimes some sharp pain in the joints, whereas the neuropathy pain, constant. usually, yeah, usually constant, and it'll get you like across the fingertips. Um, and or it'll, it'll creep up into the hand or it'll, it'll be in the toes and then kind of creeping up the foot and the leg. Yeah, when you got multiple issues going on in one area, it can be tough to, to differentiate. But neuropathy will depend on, on which nerves we're affecting. So you can have the peripheral neuropathy symptoms we just talked about. We know what that feels like. But you can have other neuropathies too. You can have what's called a motor neuropathy. So we're all familiar with our nerves that do feeling. But you know that you have nerves that tell your muscles when to contract and when to relax too. Those can be damaged just like your nerves for sensation and feeling. But you don't feel pain with that. What do you think you notice if you damage a motor nerve, if you have motor neuropathy? Weakness, lack of mobility, maybe lack of coordination, right? Drop foot, mm-hmm, but not necessarily pain. You know, I've seen multiple people come to me and go, man, you know, my back doesn't feel that bad, it's achy sometimes, but I cannot pick up my foot. The other foot, totally no problem. This one, just, it's like it's glued to the ground. They just cannot lift it up. That's a motor damage, motor nerve damage, motor neuropathy. It can affect strength and balance for sure. The other category is your autonomic neuropathies. Now these don't really produce pain either, but that can lead to problematic blood pressure issues, heart rate problems, bowel and bladder function, all kinds of those automatic functions that the body is supposed to take care of. Well, if you have nerve damage there, do you think you get pain with that one? You just have dysfunction. So it depends on which ones we're talking about. Now, again, we're going to stay mostly up here, but does anybody, anybody have questions, comments, thoughts about the motor or the autonomic neuropathies? Did you know that there was such a thing as an autonomic neuropathy? Most people don't. What about diabetic neuropathy? Mm. Now, that falls under this category here for peripheral neuropathy, usually. But do you think you could also have involvement with this one and this one? Absolutely. How often do you think these slide under the radar? all the time because you go to your doctor and you go hey my hands and my feet are just burning they're on fire all the time and they go oh you got neuropathy great send you out the door right did they check this stuff did they check your strength capacities there and you're not necessarily gonna tie that all together right i mean until until just now you might not have even known that you could have damage to those other nerves without pain and have a change in function so diabetic neuropathy, that's, that's the most common one we deal with. It really is. Um, and that one is, again, same process. The blood supply to those peripheral nerves, those very small nerve endings, is damaged. It is not uncommon at all to see somebody with diabetes who doesn't respond to their blood pressure medication. You know why? Because of this right here. They've got the pain, they've got this going on here, but there's also some other nerves affected that means that a traditional medication doesn't even have really any effect. And their doctor's like, I don't know. It doesn't even make any sense. It actually ends up being the same issue. It's a nerve damage issue. What about from chemotherapy? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Let's get into that. Let's get into some of the causes here. Because there's a lot more than you probably think. There's a lot more. We said diabetic neuropathy is the most common. Chemotherapy uh, induced CIPN, chemotherapy induced peripheral neuropathy, is actually probably about the second most common one we have now. 
but there's other causes too. Toxicity, and I'm not talking, you know, things that float around in the air that make you feel like you've got toxins. I'm talking about heavy metal poisoning, medications, um, chemotherapy is technically that's a toxin, right? And here's the thing, most people are kind of tracking with this already is that do nerves heal themselves? Can a nerve fix itself? They're going to tell you no. Yeah, that's that kind of the common knowledge means, you know, the nerves, once they're damaged, they, they're done, right? And we know that's not true really now, even with the brain. The brain can do a massive amount of repair that we just didn't know about 10 years ago. The same thing goes with some of these peripheral nerves. You can actually get repair, but not usually on its own. So once the nerve is damaged, then you suffer with the symptoms of that nerve damage until you find a way to get it fixed. So when we're talking toxins, we're talking uh, heavy metal poisoning, lead, cadmium, things like that, bad you know, stuff that's in the water, stuff you're exposed to through paint. Uh, there's a number of medications, we'll come back to that one in a minute, and chemotherapy in particular um, is very, very well known to create a lot of, a lot of uh, nerve damage. Now, diabetes, there's our one, that, that's the biggest one, really. What happens there is that the sugars uh, actually harden and damage those, those, those blood walls, those blood vessel walls, and then they can't exchange, uh, they can't exchange uh, nutrients as well, oxygen, so forth, and so that's where you get that nerve damage. It again, goes back to the same kind of process. So most of the time, you were diabetic before you got diagnosed. You know, yearly screening even, if you get that done, should catch it, but I mean, who, we don't always get those done, right? And so sometimes you'll get some blood work done, maybe that doesn't check everything it should, then you go five years. I mean, it's been a couple years since I had blood work done, it's not something I do regularly. So it can go for a while, unexplained, and you develop the neuropathy symptoms, and then later you get that diagnosis of diabetic. So, Trauma can do this too. You can have direct trauma to a nerve. Uh, compressive injury can damage that nerve and make it very, very difficult to come back. Uh, I, I had the video loop playing. Did you guys see Mike? Did he, his come up? Okay, yeah. He had an actual crush injury to his arm and it damaged the nerve all the way down to the point where he couldn't move his hand, all right? So he was just starting to get movement back when he came to see me and we're able to work him through to where he's got full function now. I think he, I think he does flooring here locally, anyway. Huge, huge recovery story, but that's what happened with his, is it was a trauma. Okay, how about this one, hypothyroid. Hypothyroid, this is one that a lot of your doctors don't even know about necessarily, don't know about that tie-in there. But hypothyroidism can create some level of uh, carpal tunnel symptoms and uh, nerve injury, nerve damage. It's really hard to diagnose can be, yeah, because again, we don't necessarily always do the, the right tests. No, no, yes, there are five blood tests that you have to do. There are five blood tests you have to do, and if we can get those back, then I can tell you every time if you have a thyroid problem or not. It is TSH, free T3, free T4, thyroglobulin antibodies, and thyroid peroxidase antibodies. If you can get me those five, there's others too that you can, you can get done, but if you can get me those five, I can tell you what's going on with thyroid. Yep. And thyroid is tough though, it's tough to spot, right? Because the, the symptoms are kind of all over the place. You're tired, not sleeping well, maybe had some weight gain, but I'm getting older, you know, go through that thing. But it ends up the thyroid's just cratered because it's inflamed because we have some kind of autoimmune process going on potentially. Some autoimmune disorders actually do damage to the nerve endings as well. That chronic inflammation 
down in those really delicate nerve fibers can really disrupt your circulation to those, those nerve endings. How about this one, infections? Yes, ma'am. Oh, back to the autoimmune. Yes. Fibromyalgia, is that an autoimmune So, technically, yes, it, it is an autoimmune. It's in that category. It's kind of interesting, though. We talked about um, the, the blood flow problem uh, there. What was that called again? Yep, that's right. If that is a nerve-gated blood flow problem, they think that fibromyalgia is kind of the same way. You don't get good blood flow through some of those major muscle groups, and so you end up with these buildups of lactic acid, so you have widespread muscle pain all the time, but it does kind of go back to that same process. It's the nerve-controlled blood flow issue. So is it a nerve problem? Yeah, we're talking sort of almost a type of neuropathy. They won't classify it as that, but if you really nail down the process, it almost is a neuropathy. You know how often I see Raynaud's and neurop neuropathy problems together? All the time. All the time. Yep. Uh, neuropathy and uh, autoimmune disorders like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, that's pretty frequent too. Infections, chronic infections can really, can really do that. We're talking uh, Lyme disease, hepatitis, uh, shingles definitely, because that one actually hides in the nerve. Uh, anybody know what EBV is? Epstein-Barr virus. That is mono. That's how we call it. But that one tends to live in your body for a long time, sometimes forever. It'll kind of hide out in the spleen and then jump out at you whenever your, your immune system's a little bit low or you're stressed. But that one can do some nerve damage also. Here's another one, alcoholism. Now we're not just talking about having to drink a couple times a week, we're talking about actual alcoholism that damages blood flow because you have all these additional toxins that end up floating through the body the liver just can't take care of. And so one of the uh, effects of alcoholism is a lot of people will develop a pretty bad peripheral neuropathy. There are genetic factors. There are genetic factors that make you a little bit more prone to this one, but very, very, very uh, uh, rare disorders that can actually cause peripheral neuropathy. So normally when we're talking about genetics, it's just one of the factors, not necessarily a standalone cause. How about this one, vitamin deficiencies? Anybody know which vitamins we might be talking about? D3, Bs, yeah, B12 specifically, but B6 can do it as well. And anybody um, anybody uh, that has neuropathy, did your doctor test you for B12? A, a very simple, straightforward vitamin deficiency in vitamin D or B12, sometimes B6 also, can stimulate a whole pattern of neuropathy that if you don't test for it, you're not going to spot it. And it's not any of this complicated, awful stuff. It's straight up, you got to take a vitamin. Organ diseases, we already kind of mentioned if we got, you know, alcoholism, and liver damage, that can have problems. You know, kidney damage does kind of the same thing. It can create some major problems for the nerves. Normally, at that point, you're talking about more important things than you're, than you're feeling. Um, but this is the one that gets most people, is this, idiopathic. Yes, ma'am, real quick before I get into that. Yes. Yeah, so if the immune system is suppressed and your repair mechanisms are not quite up to par and your fighting, your fighting stuff off mechanisms are not quite up there either, and if you went through some level of kidney problems prior to getting your transplant, then that means you would fall into this as one of your potential causes for nerve damage. And then like we said before, like with a bee sting, kind of a toxicity thing, once you've had the damage, it tends to kind of stay damaged. 
You know, it, it may not get worse. A lot of times it doesn't, but it may just stay at that level. So, um, so we already talked about, you know, you, you mentioned diabetic neuropathies. We're talking about some toxicity and stuff. But this word here, idiopathic, first of all, do you, does anybody know what that means? Is how I remember it. It means that we're idiots because we can't get it figured out. It's idiopathic, all right? We don't know. Yeah, we just, we don't, I don't know. If you don't real neatly fall into the diabetic neuropathy or maybe the chemotherapy neuropathy, they're going to automatically usually put you straight to the idiopathic and then get you on out the door. But what if you just had one of these? It's a simple test. It's a simple blood test. But again, I'm not trying to rag on your doctor. It's just we're not taught a lot about this stuff. If you really want to get good at this, you have to really pursue some of the research that's been done and some of, some of the additional information that's out there. We just don't get that much training. So if you've been lumped into this category, that's not good enough. You need to have some idea of what created it. Now, if we had something like uh, a, an organ dysfunction or a, a sting or something like that, and we can kind of track it down, it's not something that's ongoing. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that critical, right? But the biggest part is to make sure it's not ongoing. Because what if it's this right here? We can't let that keep going or you're never going to get better. You're going to get worse, right? So we need to nail down, is the cause something that is ongoing or not? And that goes with no matter what kind of treatment you're going to do, the traditional-based treatment or something a little bit more advanced, some of the newer treatments. You have to know what that cause is so that you can address it, stop it from happening, and then move on towards actually getting things healed up. I mean, look at these. Anybody recognize any of these medications? Dapsone, amniodarone, Cipro, whole bunch of drugs. These are the most common ones that cause, neurop that cause uh, neuropathy, uh, peripheral nerve damage. You want a full list? Here's your full list. Um, your statins are on there too. Crestor, Zocor, um, there's a whole bunch, there's a whole bunch. And um, it's not unusual at all for us to run into somebody who their damage, nerve damage started here. So if you want a, uh, a copy of this chart, this is from like the neuropathy, because it's probably hard to see anyway, but this, I think it's like the um, peripheral neuropathy foundation or something like that. If you want a copy of this, then, and make sure we have your contact info, we'll email that to you, okay? And the same goes for any of the studies that I'm gonna throw up here in a little bit. If you want some citations, we'll send those over your way. Subscribe to this weekly podcast for more great information. Find a certified laser therapy clinic near you at lasertherapyinstitute.org. If you are a healthcare provider, check out our practitioner-focused Laser Therapy Institute podcast. Thanks for listening.